0: Early on, there was a little bit of a clash between agriculture and the solar industry because it's it's land use, right? You know, there's a
1: rub there.
2: <laughs> Coming up on Carolina Connection, North Carolina farmers are changing the solar industry with a little help from Sheep. Good morning, I'm Lorelei Sykes.
3: And I'm Savannah Gunter. Also this morning, Chapel Hill previously frowned upon restaurant drive-throughs, but that may be changing. A UNC study reveals that wild blueberries can keep your brain sharp and a UNC student organization has been picking up campus litter for a year
2: and now they're ready to celebrate.
4: Today at the meeting we're going to get pie in the face because we picked up 250 pounds this year and we promised that we would get pie in the face.
2: From the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media, this is Carolina Connection.
3: Thanks for joining us, and welcome to a special Earth Day edition of the program. In 1970, Wisconsin Senator Gaylord Nelson established the first Earth Day by protesting a lack of federal environmental protections. Now, decades later, there's still plenty to find in Chapel Hill and across the state that puts our Earth first.
2: For instance, North Carolina has a growing number of solar farms, but many of these high-tech power systems are built on traditional farmland To bring animals back to those lands, farmers and others are embracing solar grazing, using sheep to mow solar farms to combine new technology with ancient practices. Sophie Mallinson reports. Hey Jane, I
4: see you. Hello.
5: Jane has dedicated her life to renewable energy.
0: Oh, she was loud as a baby. Come here, Jane.
5: She works long hours at this solar farm in Roxborough, rain or shine.
0: She can be quite a handful at times.
5: Jane is a sheep. And she's one of many that farmers like Johnny Rogers have raised for what's called solar grazing, using pasture animals to keep the grass short at solar farms. North Carolina now has more than 600 solar farms, large plots of land with long rows of glass panels the sheep reduce the need for lawn mowers.
0: Any time you mow, you're you're using time, labor, fossil fuel. So uh, we're trying to maybe have a more regenerative approach with the grazing than just mowing alone would be.
5: North Carolina is among the top ten states for the growth of solar power, so solar grazing is growing too. Putting sheep on solar farms preserves an agricultural use for the land. Rogers says that's important in rural communities where solar farms often replace conventional farms.
0: Early on, there was a little bit of a clash between agriculture and the solar industry because it's it's land use, right? So there is this kind of, you know, there's a rub there.
5: ROGERS raises other livestock too, but he says cattle are too big to graze around solar panels, and goats' climbing ambitions disqualify them, making the mild-mannered sheep the most popular choice for solar grazing. And with that popularity comes an opportunity. The number of sheep and shepherds in the U.S. has been declining for decades, but now solar grazing is sparking new interest.
6: Okay. So I'll demonstrate in this group
5: In a small barn on NC State University's educational farm, Professor Andrew Weaver is training students in shepherding.
7: It's science and art. It's the combination of two.
5: Weaver is developing a curriculum in solar grazing that he says will combine the resources of the solar and shepherding worlds.
7: Following along with the growth in solar, we need a growth in the sheep industry. And so that's going to take training new farmers. It's going to take um, helping existing producers learn how to raise more sheep. You know, education is gonna be a component that needs to come along with all of this.
5: One of those newer farmers is Brock Phillips. He's the Livestock Director for Carolina Solar Services, which has more than 3,000 acres of solar farms and more than 500 sheep. In Orange County, Phillips was tending a flock with a little help from the sheep's guardian donkey, Stella. She's very sweet, although she's much sweeter to everyone else than me. Phillips is a modern shepherd. Instead of a crook and cloak, he sports jeans and a baseball cap. He earned degrees to be a chemical engineer. But now...
8: I was always really interested in energy, and I get to work in ag, and I get to take my dog to work.
5: Phillips says solar grazing can get more young people like him involved in farming. The cost of buying and operating conventional farms has gone up, so agriculture has become harder to break into. But solar grazing has a different business model,
8: as farmers can keep their sheep on property they don't have to own. You can actually provide a service and get paid to do it. You can exist on 10 acres as a home farm, but then have access to tens, hundreds, if not thousands of acres of solar farms on which to grow your operation.
5: And with North Carolina's plentiful sunshine and long growing season, Phillips predicts the state will be a proving ground for the traditional farming industry to play a role in a high-tech clean energy future. In Orange County, I'm Sophie Mallinson.
3: For over 20 years, the town of Chapel Hill has discouraged drive through lanes based on concerns about idling cars, air quality, and pedestrian safety. But now, the Dunkin' Donuts on East Franklin Street will be adding a drive through to their business. That comes after the town allowed drive-thrus at Chick-fil-A and Starbucks, Kyle Turek reports.
9: UNC junior Caitlin Patterson drove to Chick-fil-A Caroway Village after work just to use their drive-through.
3: Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. That's good. Um, Caitlin, can I just get the spicy Southwest salad, please? All right. Chick
9: fil A is one of the only fast food businesses in Chapel Hill that offers its customers a drive-through option. Others include the Starbucks, also at Caraway Village, and the cookout on South Elliott Road. Patterson said restaurants having a drive-through makes them much
3: more inclined to go there. Especially like being a college student, like. If I'm busy and I don't wanna spend all the time like going in to try to get food, um, just makes it a lot easier and quicker, especially if I am on a time crunch
9: drive throughs have been a rare feature of Chapel Hill businesses over the past 20 years. Fast food restaurants have had a hard time getting approval for drive throughs based on a 1998 ordinance that barred new drive throughs from being built without first applying for a special use permit, which the town can deny. The only businesses that have received routine approval for drive-thrus are banks and pharmacies. Mayor Pam Hemminger said the council has opposed drive-thru lanes in Chapel Hill largely based on environmental concerns.
8: Chapel Hill, and Harbor, and actually some of Orange County have been sort of not supporters of drive throughs They um, believe that the idling that cars do while in line while waiting contributes to air pollution. And as we're all trying to work on climate change and climate action, those are some of the things we're looking at. Given the town's recent
9: opposition to drive throughs the council's unanimous vote last month to approve the Dunkin' Donuts on East Franklin Street's installation of a drive-thru lane may have been surprising. Hemminger said in that case, the council's hands were tied.
8: So that one was interesting because it was a very old special use permit that was already on the site. And when there's a special use permit that's being modified and not being completely redone, our options are limited up to what we can um, turn down, basically. (laughs) And so it was interesting because it met the use table of what they had been approved for over 30 years ago
9: on that site. Duncan opened in 2017 and didn't include a drive-through despite already having approval for one. The building was instead designed to accommodate a pickup lane in the future so the developers could go through a more complex approval process and town council reviews. Hemminger said the council is still not totally on board with the idea.
8: Council wasn't really excited about approving it, but we also didn't have options for disapproving it. We don't tend to approve new drive-throughs in town, um, but we have to honor ones that were already approved under an original special use permit or development agreement
9: Chick fil A at Careway Village was able to open a drive through for similar reasons. The land had been approved by a previous council to include three drive through businesses. Owner and operator Sammy Culberson said environmental concerns were not on his mind when he decided to bring a drive through to Chapel Hill.
7: Our team, historically, averages about two minutes and two seconds per transaction. Go to a red light in Chapel Hill, and you're there at least that long. So. I don't think we're causing
9: the average to go up. We are trying to get people in and out as quick as possible so they can hit the road. Chick-fil-a's front of house director Timothy Knott said their drive through allows for the best guest experience possible. It is necessary for like the fast food business. It's an everyday thing, you know, we try to wow the guests every day with our drive through I don't think like emissions and stuff, I've, I've never really thought about that, honestly, of as a negative to a drive through Back in the car, Patterson said they understand both sides of the issue.
3: I don't know, like drive throughs do have negative impacts on the environment, but sometimes accessibility wise, uh, they can create better options. So I think there's positives and negatives. They
9: said they will continue to choose drive throughs while on the go as long as the option is available in town. In Chapel Hill, I'm Kyle Turek.
2: It's that time of year when many people are eager to head outside and soak up some sun. But this spring, allergy season has come earlier than usual. Annie LeBaron has more.
10: At this time of year, it's common to see UNC students relaxing on blankets spread out across the quad. However, the early onset of allergy season this spring has made it hard for some to enjoy the outdoors. Three undergraduate students, Kira Daly, William Malone, and Prithya Diga, describe their allergies. I'm like on Zyrtec every day.
8: The only thing I've noticed is that it's come earlier. And like, you can probably tell by my voice, it's kind of hoarse. I haven't stopped to think why. I'm just suffering.
10: According to UNC professor and climatologist Charles Conrad, there is a scientific explanation for the early onset of allergy season this year. Conrad says that the loblolly pine tree is a significant source of pollen during the spring in North Carolina. This bright yellow pollen is what you usually find covering the surface of your car. Conrad says that this year, trees like this one began to bloom in late February instead of late March.
8: The growing season has increased a bit. I think it's maybe on the order of one to two weeks longer than it used to be. There's a lot of variability, but but maybe things blooming on average a week earlier.
10: According to Conrad, carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere has increased steadily over the years due to human activities like burning fossil fuels. As a result, plants can photosynthesize more efficiently and release more pollens in the air. Warmer weather also means plants can bloom much earlier than normal, Dr. Amika Sood at UNC's Allergy Clinic shares how this early allergy season has impacted patient outreach. We definitely have more patients reach out sooner this year in regards to their symptoms worsening. We've even seen more severity of symptoms this year compared to previous years. Things like sneezing, runny nose, congestion, Post-nasal drip. Doctor Sood provides patients with a pamphlet displaying options from sinus rinse products to oral medications. medications. So leaning forward over a sink um, and tilting your head to one side and squeezing. That squeezing will get the water out into the nostril, and the water should come out the opposite side. One of her patients, Taylor Cozy, takes Zyrtec oral medication and Flonase nasal spray daily. Lately. Cozy says she's provided recommendations to friends with worsening allergies. I've had more people asking me, hey, what medication should here to take? Or like, oh, what allergies
2: do you see? I really need to go see an allergist.
10: While medication can help alleviate allergy symptoms, Dr. Sood is concerned about the long-term impact of an extended allergy season on her patients' respiratory health. As allergy season continues in Chapel Hill, she says it's important for those suffering from allergies to seek medical intervention to alleviate their symptoms and improve their quality of life. In Chapel Hill, I'm Annie LeBaron.
3: You're listening to Carolina Connection, UNC's student-produced newscast. I'm Savannah Gunter.
2: And I'm Lorelai Sykes. On Wednesday, former President Mike Pence plans to visit UNC's campus to deliver a speech titled, Saving America from the Woke Left. The speech is sponsored by Young America's Foundation and it's the first time in years that such a prominent national Republican politician will visit campus. Here to chat with us about the visit is Professor Jason Roberts. Professor Roberts, thanks so much for joining us.
0: It's my pleasure, thanks for having me.
2: What is your specialty here at UNC?
0: I study American politics with a focus on American Congress and American national elections.
2: Why is Mike Pence coming to campus?
0: Well, I think the short answer is some group invited him here. He's also among the set of people who I think is considering running for president in 2024. And North Carolina is a kind of state that he would want to do well in both in the primary and the general election if he's going to be successful in that venture.
2: Why would he want to do well in North Carolina?
0: Well, it'd be hard for a Republican to win the presidency without winning North Carolina in the general election. And right now, the North Carolina primary is in March, I believe, which is an early early state in the voting. And so doing well in this part of the country would, would certainly help him.
2: So he's like you mentioned, he's been talking about potentially running for president and plans to announce his plans in spring, like later in spring. So
0: I do remember when if he's uh, potentially Trump running for president, it, why
2: is he here. coming to speak uh, on such a controversial topic fall, believe, like Senator leftist Tom, wokeism rather campus. than policy?
0: Well, I'm not sure he would say those two things are, are entirely different. Uh, you know, the, the wokeness on campus or the kind of policies that are taking place on campus it's something that really animates a lot of the Republican voters that he would need to win over in a primary. And so when you look at policies on campus, such as affirmative action admissions, or diversity, equity, inclusion, these are policy issues that people in the Republican Party label as wokeness, and these are the kinds of things that animate Republican voters.
2: Okay, so do you think that this is advancing like the Republican voice here on campus? Like, It's obviously a big moment for them, but do you think this specific topic of conversation is actually advancing the Republican party or just causing conflict?
0: Well, I think it depends on how it is handled. I think there's nothing wrong with someone coming here to speak who's maybe speaking counter to what the majority opinion on campuses. is. That can be very productive for all involved to hear people who disagree with them or maybe people who do, who do agree with the former vice president to be able to hear someone say those kinds of things out loud and from a position of prominence.
2: Do you expect there to be backlash from students?
0: I do think that his positions and his most recent comments, perhaps on the abortion pill and other things, will upset many members of the UNC community. Uh, I don't have any intelligence on whether there will be protests or not. I hope if people decide to do that, they abide by the First Amendment and that and we don't have a, a Stanford incident where we have students who are trying to shout down a speaker rather than respecting their right to speak while disagreeing with them. So I, you know, regardless of whether you agree with what the man was saying or not, that is uncivil behavior, potentially dangerous and and violates, I would argue, our, our values as a university and community.
2: Professor Roberts, thank you so much for coming to speak with us today.
0: It's always my pleasure, thank you.
2: That was political science professor Jason Roberts. According to the North
3: Carolina Justice Center, our state has the 10th highest rate of food insecurity in the nation a Chapel Hill-based program called Edible Campus UNC is combating food insecurity by providing free, fresh produce for anyone in the community that needs it. Hannah Noel has the story. While many UNC students are tucked away in Davis Library preparing for their final
11: exams, they may be completely unaware that just outside the library window lies a quarter-acre lot with beds of fresh vegetables, fruits, herbs, and flowers. Edible Campus UNC is a program of the North Carolina Botanical Garden working to combat food insecurity locally. They're doing this using their garden behind Davis, along with 10 other gardens spread throughout campus. Kyle Parker, Edible Campus UNC's coordinator, says that feeding the community is especially poignant right now.
6: pre pandemics college students were the fastest growing uh, food insecure population in the country, so I can only imagine that's been exacerbated since.
11: In addition to maintaining their gardens of fresh produce, Edible Campus UNC emphasizes the importance of educating the community about gardening to try and end food insecurity from all angles by connecting the people with and helping them understand their food system. One way that they do this is through events, such as the ones during Earth Week this past week, including a cyanotype making class on Wednesday, run largely by Morgan Flint, one of the graduate student leaders for the organization. Cyanotyping is a form of photographic printing. It uses um, UV rays to process, so that's why we're doing it outside. And yeah, we're just gonna do some earth-themed art for Earth Week. The event was in collaboration with the town of Chapel Hill's Stormwater Department. Sammy Bauer, the Stormwater Department's education coordinator, also helped Flint run the event and educate participants about protecting local waterways most folks if they
12: think about storm drains at all good on you if you do uh they assume that it goes to a wastewater treatment plant and in chapel hill north carolina that's not the case if it is an older development um like much of unc a lot of the times that's going directly to a creek so it is storm drain pipe into a creek
11: attendees were able to forage for flowers leaves sticks and other vegetation in the garden to use for their artwork One attendee, senior Ellen Garfinkel, was excited to both support the cause and have a new piece of artwork for her collection.
2: Mostly here because my roommate works um, for the town with the um, stormwater initiative. but we're making cyanotypes by picking different plants
8: around the garden. Um, Thought it would be a good decoration for my room.
11: Most everything grown at the Edible Campus Gardens is harvested by students, staff, and members of the community pretty quickly. But nothing goes to waste, and the team takes what has not been collected directly by community members to other organizations to help feed students and other locals.
6: Where we find we have kind of an opportunity to donate is usually at the end of the season. When that happens, usually we partner with Carolina Cupboard, which is, is great to get to work with them.
11: As for what they hope for the program going forward?
6: I kind of like to conceptualize it. like We could literally start from the seed, uh, like propagating the plants, growing the plants, uh, and then if we could kind of increase our cooking education a little bit, go all the way through, like kind of complete that whole circle is, is kind of my long-term vision.
11: And for what you can do this Earth Day to celebrate.
6: If you're interested in plants, just jump right in. Come on outside, throw something in the ground, get, get some dirt underneath your fingernails. You'll, you'll be happier for it.
2: In Chapel Hill, I'm Hannah Noel. A recent UNC study found that wild blueberries are healthier than we thought. Wild blueberries, as opposed to regular blueberries, improve brain processing speeds in participants who experienced cognitive decline. Sophia Bosurto has the story.
12: For six months, researcher Carol Cheatham conducted a clinical trial that revealed wild blueberries improve the speed of processing in elderly patients with mild cognitive decline. Wild blueberries are known to be a healthy food, but for Cheatham, an associate professor of psychology and neuroscience at Carolina's Nutrition Research Institute, the results were still surprising. I was surprised that the speed of processing was improved so much in just six months. I mean, to bring it back to the level of people who had never experienced cognitive decline, that was interesting to me. People with cognitive decline feel a collection of symptoms relating to worsening memory or increasing confusion. You can't find words when you're trying to talk forget people's names, you forget what you're saying mid-sentence. In the study, people with the symptoms were able to reverse cognitive decline by eating two cups of wild blueberries a day. For some, that allowed them to start driving a car again, in only six months. For this vast improvement, wild blueberries are essential. They can be found fresh in Maine and in some parts of Canada, and frozen in supermarkets elsewhere. Mary Ann Lila directs the NC State University Plants for Human Health Institute in Kannapolis. She says frozen berries are ideal.
3: They're splash frozen right on the production line right after harvest. That absolutely captures every bit of the phytonutrient, phytochemical quality of the berry.
12: Wild blueberries' unique phytochemical makeup is a result of adapting to the challenging conditions of Maine and the surrounding regions. These phytochemicals, which are plant compounds developed to protect against environmental stressors and pathogens, provide remarkable health benefits to humans. Chitam says that she incorporates wild blueberries into her diet in multiple ways, one being smoothies. So I have a ninja blender. I fill my solo cup. I fill that with blueberries every morning and pour orange juice over it and then just pour it up on the blender. Lila also has wild blueberry smoothies but that isn't the only way she incorporates the blueberries
3: into her diet. I love to uh, pour them out defrost them just a little bit don't microwave them because that just zaps all the potency out of them but just defrost them a little bit and then put them on top of salad
12: For those who don't incorporate wild blueberries into their diet and experience cognitive decline, Chi says that the speed of their progression depends on the individual and relies heavily on their diet. A poor diet is more likely to have a steep decline, while a medium-bad diet is more likely to have a more drawn-out decline. Additionally, a mild cognitive decline can be an initial indicator of dementia or Alzheimer's. But for two cups of wild blueberries a day, one can enjoy a nutritious snack while looking after their brain health. In Chapel Hill, I'm Sofia Basurto.
2: Now for sports. Joining us today is daily Tar Heel sports editor Hunter Nelson. Hunter, thanks for being here.
7: Thank you so much for having me.
2: All right, so let's talk lacrosse first. Uh the women's lacrosse team had their first loss at home since 2019. The number five North Carolina women's lacrosse team lost to number one Syracuse at Dorrance Field last Saturday in Chapel Hill. So the results end UNC's 41-game home win streak, and like I said, that dates all the way back to 2019. This game was pretty close for the most part, but where did we fumble?
7: I think really just the main point of emphasis for this game was the performance of Delaney Schweitzer for Syracuse in that she had 15 saves, she really shut it down for the orange back line. And UNC had its opportunities to pull ahead in this game, but when you're playing against a, a hot goalkeeper like that who really has it going on, there really isn't much you could do in some cases like that. So I think this is just more a case of running into a better team. I think, you obviously, you mentioned that this was UNC's first home loss in, uh, like you said, dating back to 2019. But I think many people coming into this game probably expected Syracuse, the top team in the nation, to come out on top. So... I think it really was just the combination of Syracuse, I guess, performing better this season and having a little bit more momentum than the Tar Heels um, when they did come to play at Doran's Field. And I think ultimately that resulted in the outcome that we saw.
2: Yeah. And it's the same for men's lacrosse right now, too. With 12 seconds remaining, Syracuse's Michael Leo scored for the number 18 Syracuse team to win a 15 to 14 neutral site victory over number 12 North Carolina. So the Tar Heels tied the game at 14 with less than three minutes remaining before the end of the game. But then Leo's last minute victory allowed them to stake their claim for their first conference win of the season. So what might future games need to look like for UNC men's and women's lacrosse to earn a spot in the upcoming championships? Because we're nearing May. The season's almost over.
7: Yeah, no, I think as far as postseason outlook for both of the teams, I think the women's team might be in a little bit better of a position as of now. Um, I know came in, they were, I believe, the number five team in the country, as you mentioned. Um, The men's team has a little bit more work to do, um, I think. You know, the next two games of the season, the last two games, I should say, they play number two Notre Dame, who I guess will provide a quality resume booster if they are able to get one of those two wins uh, to really strengthen their place in the NCAA tournament field. But similar to the women's game, UNC had its chances. And actually, I would say dominated this game um, this past weekend against the Orange. In the first half, they had outshot the Orange 30 to 13. For the rest of the game, they won the ground ball battle 49 to 35. So um, just one of those wacky neutral site games where uh, you know things didn't go their way. And it was really a game that I think they did need to win, um, now losing four out of their last eight games. So They have a little bit of work to do to, I guess, clinch that spot or um, earn their bid in the NCAA tournament, but um, they have two ample opportunities to do that against the Fighting Irish.
2: Thank you so much for coming on the show today.
7: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you guys.
2: That was Daily Tar Heel Sports Editor Hunter Nelson. Finally this week,
3: a group of students who have dubbed themselves the UNC Trash Force have spent the past year picking up litter across campus. Now, they're working to increase membership by helping other student organizations get involved in community service. Henry Taylor reports.
1: (laughs) Outside of Caldwell Hall, three UNC students are pied in the face. This pieing isn't some sort of punishment. It is instead a reward for the members of UNC's Trash Force, an organization that has spent the past year banishing litter from campus. (laughs) The first of three whipped cream targets is Andrew Mattson, one of the organization's founders. We
4: picked up 250 pounds this year and we promised that we would get pie in the face. Actually, 250
1: pounds was only the group's goal. Over the past year, the trash force removed 270 pounds of litter from campus. Every other week, members gather to fill as many trash bags as they can. The club is a low stress way for students
4: to get involved in their community. Yeah, and so you'll just show up, you'll walk around, pick up trash, and we usually try to make it a fun time. So the plan for today's meeting is we're going to split into groups. At the uh, club meeting on the evening of April 18th, groups, Matson rallied um, the and troops. You should, uh, and you're going to get three to four trash bags <laughs> and then gloves. We recommend you put a glove only on one hand so you still have a free hand to, you know, use that isn't contaminated. Senior
1: Stephen Chesser, another of the three founders, gave the group advice on what to avoid.
7: Don't pick up broken glass, anything that is super sharp, or any biohazards,
8: or anything that is alive. If it's trash and won't hurt, you pick it up.
1: After splitting into groups, these subsidiary Trash Force teams headed out to tackle different parts of campus. Oh, wait, look at this, look at this, look at the culprit. Folgers, classic roast. Nice. What? You don't have the eyes for trash, Logan. My trash eyes are working perfectly. Junior Logan Self has been around the block a few times before. I've been friends with uh, the creators of Trash Force from the beginning. I was actually in one uh, one of their early Instagram posts about the pickup of the week. He says that the process is not only good for the community, but for the spirit as well. It's actually pretty relaxing. I like to just take a little walk around in the afternoon and sort of take a load off while I pick up some trash. It's pretty nice. Self's group included senior Holona Dantes, junior Joy Harrison, and second-year Reed Fu. While on patrol, they managed to find lots to clean up.
3: Good job. I found a PVC pipe filled with dirt.
10: Good. Oh, good job. Wait, nice. OK, that's that's heavy. So, no, heavy.
1: Mattson says that as long as the
10: that's force keeps enough. up
1: the hard work, he hopes that they can surpass What's last year's track?
4: total trash weight. I mean, we're going to try to go for 500. The club's getting a lot bigger.
1: Next year, we're going for 500. Uh, hopefully we pass that. At this latest meeting, the Trash Force collected 20 pounds in over one hour. All that stands between them and their goals is a couple hundred more pounds of garbage. As they see it, every pound gathered is one step closer to a clean campus for all. In Chapel Hill, I'm Henry Taylor.
2: And that's it for this edition of Carolina Connection, a production of the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. Our technical director is Charisma Daniel. I'm Lorelai Sykes.
3: And I'm Savannah Gunter. You can hear more of our stories at carolinaconnection.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at UNC Connection and on Facebook at Carolina Connection. Thanks for listening.